Okay, thanks, Sue. Go right ahead. Thank you, Chris. Good evening. My name is Sue. I'm a grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. Abstinent by a power greater than myself, certainly not by the power of Sue. Um, just a minute to ground myself again. Um, I don't talk much about what it was like. Well, so a little bit about what it was like. But um, my childhood is my childhood. I've come to come to the decision, and it was a decision that I made, that my parents did the best they could with what they had. Um, that there's no such thing as a normal childhood, and that, um, like I said, my parents did the best they could. I'm the second oldest of five children. My father was ill. He had a seizure disorder, a meningitis that he had when he was younger. And my mother actually was his nurse when he had the meningitis, which is how they met. And um, they did the best as they could. Um, we lived in the house with my grandparents. Um, I knew I was a compulsive overeater from the time I was little because my first memory of all anything was the day my grandmother died and I must have been about three, three and a half, maybe even younger. And we got sent next door the day my grandmother died. Um, and as I said, she died in the house and I still remember what we had for dinner that night. Um, food has always ruled my life. There's always been enough, more than enough food, and yet it's never been enough. Um, food was my companion. Food was there just when I was sad, when I was upset, and food was there to celebrate with. That was just the way life was in my family. We didn't talk about feelings. I thought that when you grew up, you got rid of the feelings that I was feeling because I couldn't understand what I was feeling, and nobody took the time to explain it to me. If my mother thought I was depressed, the, the idea in my house was you pulled, you up, pulled yourself up by the bootstraps and you kept going. Um, I went through 12 years of good Catholic education and left thinking that there was no good in any kind of organized religion. Um, and so I stopped practicing any kind of organized religion when I was in the 12th grade. I went from a I went to an all-girls Catholic high school to a New York City public nursing school and got education in other kinds of recreational things I could do to get the pain I was in. Um, my older sister was 14, was 14 months old, 13 months older than I am. And um, I think that my mother thought that if she told it to my sister, that was good enough and that I would get the word because I always felt like I didn't have the knowledge of what life was about, that something was missing. And um, I just didn't get the memo, um, but my sister did. My sister was smarter, my sister was prettier, my sister was skinnier, my sister, everything that I wanted to be, my sister was. So I grew up in the shadow of something that I wanted to be but wasn't. And um, after my death, my Grandmother died in the house when I was 16. My grandfather died in the house. 
And um, before I was 19, my father also passed away. He was not in the house. He was in the hospital. Um, he, had, he had a seizure and fell down the flight of stairs and hit his head on the bottom. Um, so, and what did we do? We ate when my father died. We ate when my grandfather died. Um, I was never a very good dieter. Um, I went from a size 14 girls to a size 18 woman and don't remember being any size in between. And, um, um, and food ruled my life. Um, I would try to diet. We tried the grapefruit and egg diet. We tried the grapefruit and spinach diet. Went to a gym which tried to roll the weight just off of us. We just went on all kinds of machines and we just rolled them away. Um, I tried paying ways a couple of times. Um, I tried doctor-controlled diets. When I was 16, I went with my mother to a doctor who gave us a box of pills. Um, and you didn't eat it all. It was a total fast. You just took the pills three times a day. And I lost weight then. But um, somehow, once I stopped taking the pills, the weight came right back on. Um, I graduated from nursing school, just barely, but I graduated, became a nurse, and decided I wanted more adventure in my life, so I decided I was going to join the Air Force at some point. And um, so I went on. I couldn't pass the physical because I was overweight, so I went on a really strict diet. I stopped eating all my junk food, and I started going swimming five times a week at the Y. And obviously, I started losing weight. And that went on for quite a while. I lost about 30 pounds, I guess. And um, then I started to look good to men. And I met this man. Um, who treated me very well, and after a couple of, not even a couple of months, a couple of eight, six or eight weeks, he said he wanted to marry me. And um, I was really confused at that point because I thought I had my life all set up that I was going to join the Air Force, and, you know, now this guy comes along and says that, you know, you're really, you know, something, and nobody had ever treated me like he did, and so there goes the Air Force, and I got married. Um, I wound up with married, two kids, eventually a house in the suburbs, and had everything that I thought should make me happy. And I wasn't. Physically, I, I mean, outside to, to the world, I looked like everything was great. I had a good job. I was working. The kids were doing well. My husband was doing okay. Um, but my husband worked evenings, and I worked days. And so I was left alone at night. I put the kids to bed, and I go back to eating. Because now who cared? Who cared if I was heavy? Who cared if I was overweight? Because I was already married. I already had the two kids. What difference did it make to anybody? If you didn't like it, that was your problem, not mine. Um, eventually, I tried to pay in way again. I went to my... The husband's doctor, my husband's doctor and my doctor were partners, and his, my husband's doctor was having this weight loss program that he was going to try, which is similar to a fast, but you use these shakes and whatever. Um, it was a fad at the time, and I tried his diet, and I wasn't losing much weight, even though I was being faithful to the diet. I just couldn't seem to lose the weight. 
I lost some, but not much. And then I guess he gave up on the program or something happened, but the program stopped and was fine with me because I didn't really like the diet. And um, I went back to my old ways. And um, then um, I started having stomach issues. I started having abdominal pains and all sorts of problems with my stomach. And um, they were talking to me about having to make life changes. And I started seeing a therapist. And the therapist wanted me to see a psychiatrist. And I didn't want to see a psychiatrist because I knew all psychiatrists did was give out pills. So um, in September, I saw, I saw my primary care, and he gave me an antidepressant, and he gave me something for anxiety in September of 1991. In January of 19, oh, in, I'm sorry, in January, September of 1990. In January 1991, I sat down with his pills, with the pills he gave me for anxiety, and I sat down with a bottle of vodka, and I pretty much almost killed myself. The therapist called me, said he was going to call my husband on the other line. And the next thing I knew, the police were coming from up, upstairs to check on my kids. And I woke up the next morning in the emergency room. Don't remember getting there. Don't remember being in the ambulance. Don't remember any of it. Um, and um, then I got admitted to the psych wards. And for the next six months, I was in and out of the psych wards because they couldn't figure out my medications. Um, and I was depressed and whatever. So finally the head nurse said to me, you know, Sue, every time you come here, you've been, you know, drunk. Maybe you sh your problem is alcohol. And we have these meetings downstairs on Saturday mornings. Maybe you should go to one of those meetings. So my psychiatrist gave me a pass, and I went down to my first 12-step meeting. And I was 39 years old, and I'd never heard of a 12-step program. But um, so everybody had a dollar on the table, and I was mad because they served breakfast at these meet. They had breakfast at this meeting, and um, I thought the dollar was to pay for the breakfast, and I didn't have a dollar, so I couldn't get the breakfast. And I listened, and I didn't identify. I compared, and I heard what everybody lost, and knew that um, that wasn't me because I hadn't lost any of that stuff, at least not yet. Um, from the, from the psychiatric hospital, my psychiatrist didn't know what to do with me, but now he had something to pin his hat on. So they sent me to a dual diagnosis, drug, alcohol, and psychiatric facility in upstate New York, where I spent the rest of the summer. There, <coughs> um, my food didn't get too bad. My food was pretty good when I was there, but, you know, you got served what they served you. And... Um, I got a good foundation in the 12 steps. I learned about the steps, um, and I was discharged and went to meetings five and six times a week. And um, but I never felt like I fit in there, like something was missing. So after about six and a half years, I tried another pay-in way, wasn't doing well with that, and um, I had heard of OBEs Anonymous, and so I talked to my therapist about it, and we agreed that maybe I should try it. So I called the number in the phone book. They told me where there was a meeting that night. And I got there, and nobody had the key to the church. So somebody told me where there was going to be another meeting, and she went there with me. And there was nobody there either, but at least I knew it only took two people to make a meeting. 
and we read some of the beginner stuff, and um, we had a meeting. And I knew that I was home. She told me to come back to the same place the next night. They would have a newcomer meeting, and there would be more people there. And she was right. There were. And um, I got involved with the same group of people, mostly women. And we would go from meeting to meeting. It was, we were going to meetings every night. I lost weight almost right away. I think in the first year and a half, I lost my 100 pounds. And um, we would go speaking, and we would go, you know, and as we were speaking, we'd go for a cup of coffee, and it was wonderful. We'd go to lunch on Saturdays after the meeting, and it was just a wonderful time in my life. Everything seemed to be coming together. And it was a wonderful thing that I had done. Um, but then things, after four years, things started to get not so easy. I was on the pink cloud in the beginning, but after the four years, I got tired of writing down my food every day and giving it away to a sponsor. And I didn't like traveling around so much anymore. And, you know, going to a meeting every day, that got to be a lot. You know, there were other things I wanted to do at night. So I finally convinced myself that um, and I didn't have a sponsor anymore either. So, you know, nobody was really watching what I was doing. So I started to go to less meetings, and I did less service. And eventually, I was outside of the rooms. And um, I stayed out of the rooms for seven years. And eventually, I started picking up the food again. And eventually, I gained back not just the 100 pounds I had lost, but I gained back 160 pounds. I had sleep apnea. Um, I had venous insufficiency in both of my legs. And um, I couldn't walk around the block anymore without getting extremely short of breath and with back pain. Um, so I wound up in another psychiatric facility in a day treatment program. I did wind up losing my job because I had a nervous breakdown on my job. And um, I had nowhere else to go except back to OA. So um, I went to a meeting where I knew there was a meeting and um, very full of shame at what had happened to me, the great I am. And the people there didn't shame me at all. The people there did what we do. They welcomed me back with loving, open arms. It took me a couple of weeks, but I finally asked somebody to be my sponsor. And she said right away that she would sponsor me. And this poor woman has been my sponsor for almost 10 years now. And um, we went through the tw this time we went through all 12 steps, not just the first couple. And... Um, and in January 2000, I came back in November of 2010. In 2014, I finally got abstinent in January of 2014. Um, Five minutes remaining. Thank you. And this time, the, the uh, weight didn't come off quite so easily. Um, I always think that the first time was a gift. The second time, I got to work for it. So um, I was still using the pay and weigh diet. And um, in the beginning, I took off some weight, um, and then I would hit these plateaus. And these plateaus would last a long time. And um, I'm in a plateau now that's been lasting a real long time. And, you know, I guess what I have to do is I have to change something, and I'm being resistant to changing. I've been down 90 pounds now for almost, I don't know how many years. Um, 
but I've been down 90 pounds. Um, and um, But the best part is I've kept off the 90 pounds. I have more weight to lose, and I'm not sure if I'll ever lose it or how much I'll lose, but I do know this, that by working the 12, all 12 steps, I've become a new person. The gifts I have received from working all 12 steps were beyond my imagination. Um, I've discovered that I have a voice. I've discovered that what I say matters to people. As long as I lift up my voice and raise it and tell people what it is I think and what I believe, I've found a higher power this time. And I did some research into higher powers. I did some readings on different types of religions. And what I finally found was a higher power that is personal to me. And my higher power has a good sense of humor. And my higher power loves me no matter what happens to me, no matter what I do. Um, if I listen to what my higher power says, then usually things go a lot better than if I try and fight with them. Um, so, um, you know, I have a very kind and endearing higher power who I choose to call God because it's just easier. And um, I see it as a him because that was the way I was brought up. Um, and I don't fight it. Um, and the best part is that I've learned to accept. I've learned to accept people, places, and things exactly as they're supposed to be. And I've learned to live one day at a time. I don't know what's going to happen today, tomorrow. Um, I look back at, at the past, but I don't just glance at it. I don't live there anymore. And I have life beyond my wildest dreams as long as I stay in today, do the best I can to stay abstinent, and do the best I can to help another fellow compulsive overeater. I sponsor. I still have my, I still have my sponsor and I passed it on to sponsees. Um, and, um, and that's simply my life. Things happen, things that I don't like so much sometimes, and what I'm told by my sponsor is I can, I can accept it without having to like it. It's just the way it is. I do service. Service is one of the cornerstones of my recovery um, because I think Service was the is the thing that made me feel like I belong here, like I am truly accepted into this organization. And I also do service because I need this organization to continue, because I need people to stay in in Overeaters Anonymous, because I need Overeaters Anonymous to save my butt twice. And so, you know, there's no place else for me to go. This truly is the last house on the block. So I do service so it continues. Um, I did service on the group level. I've done service on the group level. I've done service on the intergroup level. Um, and I've been gifted with going to the World Service Business Conference a couple of times. And to meet other compulsive overeaters. And we're all the same, no matter whether we come from I've met, you know, compulsive overeaters from other countries, you know, other parts of the country, other parts of the United States, countries, Canada, um, Israel, and we're all the same. We all speak the same language once we get together, and we all want to work for the good of Overeaters Anonymous. So if you're not doing 
you know, and I also believe that service is outside of your comfort zone. Recovery is outside your comfort zone. So, you know, it may be a little uncomfortable at first, but the more you do it, the more comfortable you'll get with it. So consider doing service. You might like it. So with that, I'm going to pass. My name is Sue S. I live on the East Coast. You can call or text anytime. My number is 516-721-0816. And um, I'm a little behind now because I'm working, but I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thanks for letting me share. Well, 